Our scripture today comes from Galatians 5, verses 16 through 25. I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you'll certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I'm warning you about these things, as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This has been the reading, and now we'll turn over to Jim's lesson. Morning, Sunnybrook. Uh, we are uh, ending today. 12 weeks of this series, Life Interrupted, Life Together. And uh, today, as Marshall read, we are in the book of Galatians. He read from Galatians chapter 5, and we're, we're going to be doing more than just trying to break down that one piece. We've been spending, uh, as I said, a number of weeks together. And the reason why was we, we, we got a sense as a, as a leadership that this church was going through something that was very unique and very uniform. Everyone was going through it. And so it seemed wrong for us to just act as though we weren't. We felt it was important for us to respond immediately to all circumstances. And, and that's important. By the way, that's not the only way to approach it. No, sometimes we just say, listen, we're going to be going through the book of Acts, and we're going to start in chapter 1. We're going to go all the way through to chapter 28. And we're going to do that trusting that God is going to take those texts and apply them to our lives as we're just going through our lives. So again, both have value. Sometimes it's good for pastors, and this can be a temptation of us, to want to be current and relevant. So every sermon is literally ripped from the headlines just days before. And then, as I said, other times we just want to slowly trust that God's word has meaning and per both are valuable. But today, we're ending this series looking at the interruptions that have been around us, looking at the fact that we don't go through this alone, and, and maybe some of you needed to hear that. You're not alone. Ne next week, we, we start going through a book again. Uh, I, I, it's one of my favorite books of the Bible. I know I say that a lot. The book of Ephesians. And we're going to, um, for the next nine weeks, literally just unpack Ephesians chapter 1, and then 2, and then 3, and then 4, and then 5, and then 6, believing that God is going to give us very relevant and current truth that we will apply to our lives. Uh, but, but today, uh, we, we get to wrap it up. And uh, the, the title for this morning is, is taken from kind of this last thought that we want to think through together. That after coming through this long interruption, right, 12 weeks we've been doing this series, which means for more than 12 weeks, probably the last 14 weeks, you and I have gone through something that 
I, I think none of us had ever gone through before, which was this, this radical reorganizing of our time and our events, our calendars, our activities, where everything seemed to shut down, and then we began to figure out how do we start this up again? Not just nationally, but globally. I have a child in Poland. It happened to them two weeks prior. I have a child in Mexico. It happened to him two weeks after we went into lockdown. It was very interesting to see this universal, this worldwide pandemic and how it affected all of us. And now as we begin to come out and even still dealing with the, the recent unrest across this country and kind of the reminder that racism still exists and there are problems that are still around us, how do you and I, as the people of God being given by the Holy Spirit, his word, how do we then begin to re-engage? Maybe you're saying, I've already re-engaged. No, I, I understand, I get it. Um, but, but some of us aren't. And, and, and maybe it's good for those of us who are really kind of chomping at the bit. Let's go, let's go, let's, let's act. I, I mean, I'm not going to try to pretend that nothing happened, but I just want it to get back to normal. And there are others just feel like, I think we're moving too quickly. Um, I think it's a pretty human response. We're going too slow, we're moving too fast. Probably the majority of us are kind of somewhere in the middle. But I think what is universal across all of us is the God-designed intention for, uh, for us to look somewhat near kind of the ending of these, um, uh, of, of kind of the restrictions and then trying to figure out what it means to re-engage and to re-engage in a faithful way. I, I think it's really good for us to say, can we, can we learn anything? Can we apply anything to our lives individually or even to our lives corporately? And so therefore, I, I want us to think in these ways this morning as kind of a lesson from the entire book of Galatians, particularly the words that Paul gives in chapter 5 will conclude with. But this idea of why don't we for a moment just hit reset after this long interruption? Why don't we just stop for a moment? And I want you to kind of think through this. Work with me on this metaphor. I'm going to do my best to explain what happens uh, when computers reset because we use that terminology rather quickly. I just hit reset. Uh, I've had computer problems in the past, and so I'll call someone who knows a lot more than me, and I'll ask them, what do I do? And one of the first things they'll say is, have you tried to power it off and then turning it on again? And I'm like, sure, I can do that. And I have no idea what's happening. I just know that I push that button or I hold that button down, and, and, and somehow it just starts again. Somehow it just, what, what, is, it, what is it doing? And, and I want us to use, I'm going to do my best here, to explain, because it had to be explained to me, what is going on when your computer, when your phone, when whatever, some kind of device that has an operating system, when we decide to reset it, when we decide to reboot it, what is it doing? And, and then maybe you and I can actually learn of a way to kind of think about our faith and do something similar to that. And, and I would even say that the Bible recommends it. The Bible, in, in midst of trouble and adversity and difficulty, think of it like clutter that's going on in our lives, what does Paul in his letters do specifically to allow Christians, to encourage Christians, to help Christians kind of declutter and begin again? That's what he had to do over and over and over again to the Galatian church. That's what you and I are in the process of redoing. May we reset, reboot, restart, re-engage in a way that is biblically true, a way that is culturally true 
beneficial in a way that also um, brings health to us as well. So, so here's what's kind of going on in your computer. I don't know what you think you're doing when you hit restart, but here's what's happening. First of all, the computer stops what are called all non-core applications. So everything that's up and kind of operating that is not really essential for the system itself to work, it says we got to shut those down. Then it stops all core applications, and then the computer stops itself. At that moment, here's how it's been explained to me, the CPU, which I believe is called the central processing unit, the CPU, the memory, and all the associated hardware reset to a fresh state. It's just off. And then when it starts up again, notice it kind of, I think from what it looks like, it does the same thing just in reverse. It begins by doing this. It, it starts by doing a health check to make sure that all the hardware is good to go and ready to begin. Then it loads its operating system. And then the core or the essential programming begins to load itself and the computer is ready. Now, what's interesting is my, my friend who had actually explained it to me, Tim said, you know, it's interesting. And then once all of that has happened, all once all of the, everything has been kind of just like quieted and, and, and shut down and then everything has started again and then it loads itself up and then he kind of jokingly said this, and then you can just start cluttering your system again. And I, I, I couldn't help but think through that entire process and, and realize that, wow, like I, I, I don't spend a lot of time kind of working through the process um, of decluttering my, my thinking or decluttering my life. Uh, maybe one of the reasons why so much increased concern um, or even anxiety is developed within us individually or culturally is the fact that all we know how to do is to add and to add and to add and to stack and to stack. Have you checked your phone lately? How many different apps that you've got running? Have you checked your computer? When was the last, someone even asked me this the other day, I mentioned that, man, I think I'm having like a memory problem. And, and someone said to me, when was the last time that you shut it all down and started it up again? Oh, um, was I supposed to be doing that? And I, I just couldn't help but think, what a, what a powerful way. Now, by the way, that, that doesn't mean that in this restarting that we somehow just close our eyes and so when we open them up again, we just, we're in a different world. It doesn't do that. The Bible doesn't ask us to do that. The Bible doesn't ask us to ignore the problems that are going on all around us. But it does call us repeatedly, think of the children of Israel, repeatedly to just stop and to listen and to reflect on some core elements and then begin to reorganize their thinking and reorganize their lifestyle to this reality that God has given us. And then we can't stop the clutter from coming. We can't stop the need to use additional applications. We can't stop the engagement in the world around us. But when we do it by just stacking clutter on top of clutter on top of clutter on top of clutter, we all feel overwhelmed. The Galatian Christians... In Acts chapter 13, begin to hear for the very first time the good news of Jesus Christ. And they accept that good news. And if you read in the book of Acts, chapters 13 and 14, and then chapters uh, 15, at the end of chapter 15, you will see that the Apostle Paul, notice this, the Apostle Paul goes and preaches to them. 
And then he comes back and he checks on them. And then he leaves for a while. And then he comes back and he checks on them again. And then after a little while, he checks back with them again. And then he writes them this letter. Why? Because he knows. Paul knows that life comes at us so hard and so daily that the gospel isn't something that just changes us and then we go on with our lives. But the gospel, the good news, that Jesus Christ has come and he has saved us from our position of rebellion and oppression against God and one another. He has freed us from that. But the gospel continues to say that Jesus Christ himself is the king and that he, by the spirit of God, now resides in us and we are part of that kingdom, that the ongoing gospel that is being preached to lost people is something that saved people go back and hear over and over again, are reminded over and over again. I, I dare say that maybe this is what we're trying to do every Sunday. Reset. Again, not denying the pain, not denying the fear, not denying the distraction, not denying the fact that I really have a better time on Saturday watching my team win a football game than I really do worshiping God on Sunday. Now, all of those realities are true. But Sunday, in the presence of God, if, if we individually and corporately are really to do what we're to do, we are recalibrating we're, we're stopping, we're, we're kind of slowly, in some sense, shutting down, not, not because we can't handle these things, but because our lives are becoming cluttered. And now, all of a sudden, the Word of God speaks to us as we begin to re-engage, as we begin to then open up, as we begin to, to, to target and to systematically engage the world that we live in, the places where we work and the places where we live, and the families that God has given to us, these concentric circles of responsibility that God and His sovereignty have given to us. We do that not out of the, the angst or the busyness or the distractions, but out of a sense of purpose as citizens of the kingdom of God, re-engaging a broken world around us. And this is what Paul continually does. So I want us to just look at four very powerful reminders that the Apostle Paul gives to the Galatians because they, are, they haven't reset for a long time. They haven't rebooted for a long time. And now they find themselves straying from what they were first all about. And so what, we are, what are we seeing? I want us to just give us four things to remember coming out of our recent interruption, this most recent unpleasantness. Coming out of that, what can you and I do as followers of Jesus Christ so that we can engage the world best? And, and when I say the world, I mean the small little world that God has given you to occupy and to influence, to be salt and light. The first of all, I think the Apostle Paul makes it very, very clear. You, you can tell the emphasis of this when he begins his letters. The, the introduction of all of his letters really kind of set forth what's happening and what's going on. I think that's one of the reasons why you, can, I, you and I can learn something from this. The Apostle Paul begins with prayer. And it's not just, well, you know, you got to get start somewhere. It's kind of an icebreaker. No, the Apostle Paul is setting the agenda in that prayer. The Apostle Paul, as he is engaging with the Galatians, saying, I, I want you to just stop. I, I feel like you're losing it. I feel like you're getting distracted. I feel like the interruption is leading you away 
from what you were first brought to, and the Apostle Paul says, I want you to remember Jesus and how Jesus has changed you. Look at chapter 1, Galatians chapter 1, particularly verses 3 through 5. The Apostle Paul says, grace to you and peace. Notice that that idea of grace is is God's kindness to us, God's, um, God's willingness to look favorably towards us. And remember that he does this when we were sinners. So the grace of God comes to us, not by our own merit. We cannot kind of muscle it from him. But no, this grace comes because God is in fact loving and merciful and gracious. And peace, peace is not just peace hey, I hope things are going well for you. The kind of peace that the Apostle Paul is talking about is this idea that at the very core of our existence, in terms of who we are as followers of God, recognizing our relationship with God and now with others, that it has in the midst of temporary turmoil, breathe, Jim, a sense of peace. So he begins and ends all of his letters, grace and peace to you. But the kind of peace that we actually see is not the kind of peace that the world gives or kind of grace that the world gives, but it's from God the Father and our Lord, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for our sins to rescue us from this present evil according to the will of our God and Father, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And Jesus Jesus becomes such a focal point for the Apostle Paul that before he ever gets into any of the problems or any of his concerns specifically for them, he doesn't begin with, hey, I got a lot of problems with you people and you're going to hear about it. No, the, the Apostle Paul realizes that if he is ever going to speak truth or even if a, if a, if a follower in Jesus Christ is actually going to hear truth, where do we begin? We begin where God begins. We begin with the activity that God is doing, that if you and I are going to reset, we don't reset and then kind of wake up and the first thing that we engage is the world around us. No, what's interesting is the Bible calls us to begin where it all began. What does the Bible say? There was this time, you know, before the world began where God existed. And God spoke all things into existence. And and very much the Christian experience does not close our eyes to the world. But when we first wake up, we recognize that the world, that everything that we see, that everything that is, actually has a beginning, that there is someone that is over all of this. There is a creator greater than his creation. There is a king that is even greater than his kingdom. And the Apostle Paul says, you need to remember Jesus. You need to remember him as God's plan or God's gift. All of this happened. What does the text say? According to the will of of God, our Father. Our God and Father, I think is what he says, actually. So you have this, 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 I guess maybe like the first... The, the, the first stone that we need to touch, the, the, the first step of the operation is that we remember who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for us. So he is calling the Galatians to think back to a time where, um, where they didn't know him, where they only knew of, um, of opposition, where they only knew of destruction, where they only knew of a, of a life that was somehow like disconnected from God, their creator, and Jesus Christ, their savior. 
And he says that is where we begin the process. And, and obviously recognize, too, that, that how, he, how he has changed you. Verse 4 actually says, He gave himself for our sins, so that's the powerful part of being a Savior, to rescue us from this present evil age. And that's kind of the transformation. Uh, that's why I think it is so important that we stop and we, we spend a moment to realize that not only has Jesus Christ come, and rescued us from the judgment, the eternal judgment of God, but he has actually rescued us from the evil that exists in this present age. Now, you might say, well, wait a second. I still have to go through this. Sure, but you don't go through this like you used to go through this. You go through this now knowing who Jesus Christ is. You go through this now knowing an alternative way of living, a way of treating one another, a way of loving one another, a way of engaging in the world where instead of being someone who takes, you give. Instead of being someone who manipulates and claws their way to the top, that you, you, you see somehow in those around us a completely different perspective because you yourself have been changed by God's grace and mercy that has been given to you. And so, Sunnybrook, I think it's important that as we begin to engage that we stop and we remember Jesus. Maybe you need to spend some time this week. Can I give you something specific? And, and, and just be grateful, just to stop and to reflect on the transformation that exists because of who Jesus Christ is and how that has changed your life. And, and by the way, I'm, I'm prepared for the fact that some of you, if you were to spend that time and to actually engage it, might come back and go, not much has changed. Um, th that is where additional conversations need to be had. Th that is where you and when I say I, I mean uh, us as a, as, as a leadership, that, that you find a brother and sister in Christ and say, hey, can I just tell you my life isn't changing very much. Something is broken and it, it's not, it doesn't seem to be fixed by a quiet time. And you and I need to just stop and, and to recognize, maybe to have those personal questions asking, hey, are you remembering Jesus are you remembering how good he is and how transforming just his words of life can be from the Gospels? Are you trusting him and are you seeing a transformation happen in your own lives? Remember Jesus and the change that he has provided for you. The second thing the Apostle Paul says as we go through the book of Galatians as he helps them to reset, the Apostle Paul makes it very clear, you need to remember the new life that has been gifted to you, graced to you. This, this is what the apostle definitely wants them to understand because they are really being tempted. What's happening in the book of Galatians is they're really being tempted to abandon this idea that they have been saved by grace through faith. I'm taking the words from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. They have been, they have been saved. They have been rescued by grace through faith. And, and what they want to do is they, they want to begin to kind of work for it on their own. They, they, want to, they, they want to add to it kind of this idea that not only do we need to trust and believe in Jesus Christ, but we also need to, and, and what they were t dealing with was how do we go back and what from the Old Testament, what from the Jewish way of thinking and of behaving is still required for us as followers of God? And Paul sees them making some serious mistakes. And he says, I just want to stop and I'll remind you of something. Turn to chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. 
The Apostle Paul makes it very, very clear. You need to remember the new life that God has gifted to you. And, and this kind of terminology, by the way, it's, it's probably a phrase that you've actually heard before, but I'm asking you to kind of consider this with me. Can this be said of you? The Apostle Paul says, uh, beginning in verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. And see, that's the tension that the Apostle Paul is asking the Galatian Christians to remember. See, their lives have become cluttered over time as, as they begin to work through their faith in this world and they begin to wonder, am I doing enough? Am I, am, I, am I being spiritual enough? Am I being religious enough? And, and what happens? All of our lives, um, just over time, can begin. As churches, we do this. We begin to kind of clutter our lives with programs and activities. We, we don't mean to do this. But some of us can actually replace this genuine, real, authentic relationship with Jesus Christ by grace through faith with doing things, even good things like going to church and serving in our community and going on mission trips and being in a life group. And then all of a sudden, we've kind of lost sense of like why we're doing this or kind of the root of all of this. Why? Because we begin with Jesus and remembering who he is. And, and, and the apostle Paul says, no, I want you to stop and remember this new life that he has gifted with, gifted to you. He's graced to you. And that's why the Apostle Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And therefore, the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. I don't, I don't live it. Now, by the way, I'm not trying to create some kind of competition between faith and works. No, they, they work side by side. They, they work hand in glove. They work one step after the other. But the first step is always faith. And, and the work that we do or the things that we become are literally a result of the faith and the work that Jesus Christ has first done in us. And so as we begin to just, for some of us slowly, some of us not so slowly, re-engage the world, can we stop in a very practical way and say, man, we need to remember at the very core, like, why and how we are doing the things that we are doing. For those of you right now that are watching this, obviously, you're watching this online. How do I begin to re-engage? See, I think some people are, how do I get back to church? Now, it's not just getting back to church. I really want us to to, to not miss the point that the reason why we gather together is not to just go to church. It's not even just to be fed or just to be with one another. It is a faith response to who Jesus Christ is, this new life that we actually have. And so the things that we are doing, the good things that we are doing, the great things that we are doing, we are doing by faith meaning that we are trusting God in the process. We are trusting God in our life circumstances, whether they be difficult, whether they be monotonous, whether they be easygoing, that each of these circumstances we do so as kingdom citizens, aware of our king, 
aware of the world that we are in, and we are engaging them with this new life. And so the adversities that we hit, I'm not doing this by my own strength. I'm doing this by Christ's strength in me. The things that I'm giving up, I gladly give up, for I no longer live, but Christ is living in me. If we could understand the depths of this small little verse, which challenges you and I to see our lives as being automatic or natural, new natural, responsive uh, actions to what Christ has accomplished for us. Instead of, okay, got to do that, got to do that, got to do that, got to do that. Like Jesus is, is worth more than that. And the Apostle Paul is not wanting to create a new set of religious objectives. No, the gospel of Jesus Christ and the kingdom that we are part of is fundamentally different. Now, here's a tough one. That as we begin to reset, the Apostle Paul makes this very clear. This is one of those books that I find most interesting because it mirrors a little bit of what you see in the book of Acts, which is that even the heroes sometimes get lost. But we need to remember that everyone can get lost, that everyone can become distracted, that even those that we look up to can sometimes miss the point. And the the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians has to kind of go back and, and, and warn them of some things. He says in chapter 3, verse 1, this is kind of a famous verse from the book of Galatians that's not very um, encouraging. But he says this, You foolish Galatians, who has cast a spell on you? Actually, other translations you probably remember this one. Who has bewitched you? Who has somehow mesmerized you with a, a way of thinking or a way of acting that is not in contrary with the gospel? Who has bewitched you? He actually says this in chapter 5, verse 7. You were running so well. Who prevented you from being persuaded regarding the truth? He is saying that there are those clutter moments, but there are also those clutter people that are involved in our lives that that distract us from the things that are the most important. Like who, is, who are the ones who are somehow getting you, causing you, um, initiating in your own thinking a distraction from what matters most? Now, now by the way, in, in this particular case, one of those people that the Apostle Paul has to confront is Peter himself, the one who on the day of Pentecost proclaims great truths about God and about the kingdom that is coming. The one who, on this rock, Peter, on the preaching of Peter and the apostles, I am going to establish my kingdom. I'll give you the keys to the kingdom. And Paul says, and I had to confront him to his face because Peter, in the midst of his cluttering, was tempted to look at the people around them and to realize, if I start associating with these people over here, and I begin to kind of follow their way of thinking, it's going to cost me social clout with my Jewish friends. And he doesn't want to pay the price. And Paul calls him out on it. I think it's good for us to remember that during these times, there's a lot of people that are going to get lost. I ask you some quick application for this. I ask you to continue to pray for us as a church and as a leadership that we don't get lost that we stay focused on what matters most, which by the way, it doesn't mean that we're not engaging the world, but we're engaging the world with biblical truth first and foremost. That you and I are asking the tough questions and we're not settling for the way things were. We don't want to just kind of re-begin this process and, and have learned nothing from the last 12 weeks from the Lord himself. 
And therefore, an evaluation is necessary for you and I to ask. Like, who are those people in our lives or who are those circum- what are those circumstances in our lives that are causing us to somehow lose focus on the power and the implications of the gospel? Are we allowing the circumstances that we are going through to cloud our thinking? Are we allowing the voices in our lives, which are not voices that are coming from biblical truth, but that are just, I, I get concerned so often that as, 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 a, as a church, and when I say this, it's not just Sunnybrook, but even us more nationally as a church, that sometimes we can absolutely forget that the Bible is enough for us. It is sufficient for us, that it gives us the words of truth. And, and when I hear people say, yeah, but the problem is, is that I don't know how well the Bible speaks to the circumstances of today. And I hear people say this all the time. There's got to be a better answer than just the gospel is sufficient. Now, now listen, I, I get it. I, I, if what you're saying is to just say the gospel is sufficient and then to kind of end the conversation, that's not sufficient. I agree with you. But I do believe that the Bible is sufficient for everything we need. The Bible teaches that it is sufficient for everything that we need. And for those that decide, myself included, Paul says, and if even an angel were to come and to preach another gospel, another way of being satisfied, another way of being saved, another way of being complete, if there is something other than what we have preached to you, which is salvation in Jesus Christ alone, let that person be condemned. Let us remember that everyone can get lost. And let us remember that this is our unifying source of truth. Lastly, let us remember that we are not living. You are not living by your own strength, but by the strength of the Holy Spirit. That this idea of resetting, I've been thinking about this, and I know the analogy is going to break down somewhere, but I kind of like the passive nature of resetting. It's literally like this is kind of done not just by me, but to me. And I believe that's what the Christian life is. The Christian life is not not first something I do. It is something that has been done for me in the work of Jesus Christ. It is not just something that I do, but it is something that is being done to me by the power of the Holy Spirit. That it is not just something that I learn, but it is something that has been revealed to me that I now follow. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians 5, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what are against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. See, the Apostle Paul is saying there is a war that is going on, but there is a change in your nature. There is a change in your character. And therefore, I would say for those of you that are not living by the Spirit, not living in step with the Spirit, I'm not just going to tell you to try harder. I'm going to begin at the very beginning. Can I tell you about Jesus? Can I tell you about what he has done for you? Can I tell you about the plan of salvation and who God is? And, and will you like engage that, which is not, what do you want me to do? As much as it is, how can I faithfully respond to what Jesus Christ has done? And so we as a church strongly preach and teach that what we are as a faith community is a gift from God, a gift to ourselves and even a gift to the world. And what we are talking about here is not just pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps. It's not just us digging it in and going out and making a difference. No, it is us 
responding to the work of the Spirit in us, responding to the word of the Spirit that has been given to us, doing that together in community. The word of God, Spirit of God, people of God, we talk about that a lot. It is us relying on the Spirit's work and the Spirit's guidance and the Spirit's directions, not just you and I. I'll tell you, when I begin to get worried, when I begin to get concerned about a world that is spinning out of control, I, I begin to think, what, well, what can I do? And what am I supposed to do? Hey, Steve, what are we supposed to do? Hey, team, what are we supposed to do? Elders, we need to get together and decide what we need to do. Instead of realizing that so much has already been given to us and, and believing and trusting that the Holy Spirit is going to lead us through it. Paul kind of really brings a lot of this teaching to a close in Galatians chapter 5, verses 24 and 25. He says this, Now those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. It's interesting that that the whole concept of a life lived in obedience to Jesus Christ and a life that is engaging salt and light in the world around us in a life that is dead to itself and alive to Christ. And maybe that's what we need to hear during this reset. Maybe it's so important that you and I stop and realize that, that part of the problem that exists in this world is us. And, and when we're not giving in to the work of or the way of the Spirit, and, and so I pray that as you begin to think about what engagement looks like um, in your community or at your workplace, what as, as a church, as we get ready to continue through this summer and then get ready for the fall, as things begin to, we use this phrase, open up again or reopening, can we reopen in a way where we remember who Jesus Christ is, the new life that he has given to us? There are going to be distractions and opponents. New applications are being opened up. New issues are coming at us, but... Because the Holy Spirit has gifted us and is calling us and directing us, we believe that as a church, we will engage the world faithfully. And let us do that. I pray that your week begins and is sustained by the work of the Holy Spirit and that you can take the time to just stop and to reflect on all that you have in Jesus Christ. And that by doing all of this, you truly can experience um, kind of life fresh, life new, not denying what's going on around you, but purposefully transformed to appropriately engage what God has prepared for you. Let's pray. God, thank you for what you've done and for how you've done it. Thank you for your love for us and for the opportunities that we have to engage a broken world. And God, I pray that we would stop and to reflect that even the difficult times have been given to us so that we could learn a dependence upon you. Father, I pray that you would free us from trying to fix everything. I also pray that you would free, for, free us from the idea of believing that nothing can be fixed. Instead, God, I pray that you would give us grace so that we could engage with renewed purpose and power a broken world for your glory, others' benefit, and our joy. And the people of God said, love you guys.